This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi there. You're listening to More Than Potential, the podcast. On this show, we talk about mental health, well-being, and self-improvement from a Gen Zers perspective. I'm your host, Faith. Hi, guys. I hope you're doing well. I have a really good episode for you guys, and I am aware that you have requested another episode on career. Just know that it is on the way. And I have a few guests coming to speak on a few topics. It's going to be fun. So I've gotten your feedback and I've gotten your DMs and all of that. So trust, I will come out with more career related content since it seems to be top of mind for a lot of people. Current events have kind of created the environment where a lot of people are looking for insight into different careers different perspectives, especially post-graduation. A lot of times you get advice and it'll be from a recruiter. It'll be from someone who has a course to sell to you or someone who's been around for a long time. And there's obvious problems with that. If you're talking to someone who's a recruiter, they typically are trying to recruit you for their company and they're just selling you on things, but they may not give you the truth and the reality of what the average job seeker is noticing. Um, they're kind of skewed because of the industry they're in. They're basically glorified salespeople. And then you have the actual salespeople who are just there to sell you on a course or kind of bait you into an affiliate code for a boot camp. Just this dumb stuff, right? And then there's, of course, the people who have been in the industry for a really long time and their incentive is to push certain narratives and ideas that help CEOs and corporate executives, not the average person. So I I totally see the value today in providing that insight and reflecting on some of the things that I've learned and, you know, potentially little tidbits that could help. But like I said, that content is coming. I just don't want this podcast to be about career because trust and believe There are career coaches and career transition um, professionals out there who are better better equipped to assist. But in terms of my perspective and the perspective of of other Gen Zers who are um, trying to figure out their life and what they want to do, that's the core focus of this podcast. So I just want to make sure that I explicitly stated that, that this is focusing on Gen Z and our experiences and some of the challenges that that we're going through and how we're navigating this because this is unprecedented times. Like I, and I think people don't understand the value of this. Like imagine having a lot of Gen Zers talk about their experiences in the corporate and the workforce and through all of these changes that we're seeing in our country and being able to be open and honest about our mental health and what we're going through right now. It's like a time capsule. Like I'm pretty sure People will listen to these episodes and be like, wow, life was so crazy back then. (laughs) You know what I mean? And that's the goal is just to kind of be a reflection of what's happening in society and be a reference point. So anyway, that's not the topic for this episode. This episode is going to be more focused on a TED Talk 
that I saw a long time ago. So I'm going to get in my mental health therapy bag for a quick minute because although I myself am a work in progress, I can share some insights and some some reflections on this topic. So there was a TED Talk I saw a long time ago. That was simply brilliant. It was simple and to the point, and it was by April Mason, who used to be like a matchmaker and dating coach. And her TED Talk was called How to Change Your Life and an Identity Switch. Great TED Talk. 10 out of 10. She posed a lot of really good points, and it was so simple, but it really was an opportunity to reflect on my own mindset and behaviors, and and I'll share some of the things that I've been thinking about. But before we get to that point, just want to say thank you guys for listening to the podcast. I appreciate your support. It means the world to me. As always, please rate this podcast five stars because you love it that much and you want to support. Uh, Definitely leave a review. Uh, Apple Podcasts does have the option to do that. And it's a good way for people to basically get exposed to the podcast and, and more people will be reached because of that. And of course, you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I've had a lot of you guys reach out to me on Instagram. I keep a low profile there, but by all means, reach out to me at It's More Than Potential just to share your feedback. And I'm always open to taking some requests. So if there's specific topics that you want to discuss, hit me up, let me know, and I will schedule that in. So that being said, let's get into this because it's a lot. Like, this is a lot to unpack, and I'm so excited. So I recommend if you haven't listened to the actual TED Talk, it's 13 minutes, so it's not long. Listen to it, digest it, and then come back. Okay? Okay. Just come back. I'll I'll give you a second to pause. Okay, good. I'm assuming that if you've reached this point in the episode, you've actually listened to April Mason's podcast, not podcast, April Mason's TED Talk. And she talks about her own experience where she discusses how She had this successful business and she was encouraging people, but she was leading with a certain angle, which was her pain and her trauma from sexual abuse. And so what changed her perspective was when somebody went up to her and was like, oh my gosh, I love your content. I I, I love you so much. You're that molestation girl. Now, obviously, that's really ignorant to say, but it really caused her to reflect on how she was showing up and what she was leading with. And by using her pain and her trauma as a leading point, that was reflected back to her and she didn't like it. She had subconsciously taken on an identity of being a victim. And that's what people saw her as. Now, she had helped a lot of people at this point, but the bigger picture was that, yeah, they did see her as someone who overcame this horrific thing instead of just being the woman that she was, if that makes sense. Like they weren't really recognizing her success. They were just looking at, oh, look at the trauma, look at the horrible thing that happened to her. And so her mentor told her that you need to make an identity switch. And that basically took her down this whole self, 
discovery type of journey where she's talking about how she overcame this and and the realizations that she's had. And this kind of led me to uh, a thought process around what identity actually is, because I feel like a lot of times when we talk about identity, at least in, in the current lexicon, we're mainly referring to like political identities. So for example, when when we say identity, the actual definition is the act, excuse me, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is, a close similarity or affinity, the condition of being exactly alike, sameness, individual, individuality sense. And that really says absolutely nothing. <laughs> If you can imagine, you're like, okay, that definition means nothing to me. Exactly. It doesn't mean anything to me either. <laughs> and I think that's so interesting because the definition of identity kind of implies individualism. Like you are, as an individual person, you take on a characteristic or a quality or a belief. But the only time we really talk about identity is from a political sense. Like, oh, there's a political identity that's related to a group. Right. So, for example, if I'm a black woman and that's considered a political identity, like I am not just black, I'm not just woman, I'm a black woman. So that means that that is my political identity and that's supposed to mean something. But notice how black woman is very nonspecific. Like a whole group of people identify as black women. So that means that my identity in this sense is not unique. It's not individual, it's a group identity. And that's supposed to take on some sort of meaning in a political sense. And people will ascribe values and a set of beliefs to that, and even like certain qualities, like how we vote and um, what they think we care about. And the problem with this, in my opinion, is that when we focus so much on our political identities, we start to erase our individual wants, needs, and desires to the point where there's a lack of investigation when it comes to that. And listen, I totally get if you're the type of person who is anti-capitalist, so you don't, you're more focused on collectivism. Like you're already not gonna be prone to talk about individualism, individual characteristics. But what I'm speaking about is who you are at your core, who you are as a person, what your individual beliefs are. I feel like in a lot of ways, people take things to the extreme. So when I talk about an individual, I'm not talking about a hyper individuality, like this idea that you don't need anyone, you live in a silo. I'm not talking about that. I just mean who you are at your core. And that needs to be investigated a lot more. Because what I find is like individual identity is rooted in belief. Now, of course, your political identity is rooted in a set of beliefs as well. But sometimes it can be like oversimplified when the reality of our existence is much, much more complex than the set of beliefs ascribed to me just because I'm a black woman. It feels a little bit um, patronizing in a way, if that's the right word to use. Um, my individual identity is rooted in certain beliefs. And I want you to really think about what you actually believe, what you believe. 
not what you're told to believe, what you actually think. Not about society, but about yourself, about your life. What is your perspective? And I know that's a broad question, but I think it's a valid one. Like, what do you actually believe about yourself, about your abilities, about your potential? What do you actually think? Like, what do you think about the world? Do you think the world is inherently a bad, dangerous place? What do you believe about your family? What do you think about your circumstances? A lot of our beliefs come from a narrative that we tell ourselves about our lives, about the things that we've gone through, and about our future. And some of these beliefs are inherited. They're passed down to us like an oral history. So you get some of these beliefs from your parents or from your caregivers. Some of it is told to you like this, and some of it you perceive on your own through a variety of different experiences or circumstances. And I think this is really important to revisit and go back to and really explore. Because one thing I have learned in my time is that the older I get, the older I become, I start to see the beliefs that were manifesting in my life that I was not cognizant or aware of. Because oftentimes when we talk about things that are like passed down to our parents, we don't consider that some things we were never explicitly told, we were demonstrated, and then we began to adopt. So for example, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I feel like shame, toxic shame is 100% something that can be passed down, 100%. And I inherited that for a long time. I felt so much shame. Some of it was from religion because I grew up fundamentalist Christian and they always weaponize shame to get you to do certain things. Like, we're not going to get into that. That's not the subject of this podcast. But it's not even just that. It was the shame that my parents felt. And I didn't interpret it as shame, but I think that's what it was. Imagine if you grow up and you see your parents participating in toxic behaviors and then portraying to the world something different. You start to see that, wait a second, there's a disconnect between what they say they are versus what they actually are. And they made it very clear that we were supposed to keep things in-house and never talk about our problems. So I grew up believing that my role was to pretend to be perfect and 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 really guard my own imperfections. I didn't feel like I could make a mistake because not that I thought I was above it. I just thought that I would be held to a higher standard and I was always being held to a higher standard. So if I made a mistake, it was a massive colossal failure. And it became problematic because once you become you buy into this idea that you have to be private like and super secretive, it creates this environment around you where you're constantly like keeping things under wraps that are innocuous. But I, I realize as an adult that by telling your children that they can't talk about their problems to other people, 
that you're signaling to the child that they have something to be embarrassed about. Their, their lifestyle, how they grow up, how they're raised, their daily activities. There's something inherently wrong with that, embarrassing about that, that they cannot share. And I get from a certain perspective, if you're an adult and you are so afraid that someone's going to call CPS on you or, you know, if someone's going to talk badly about you or gossip about you, I get why you're afraid of that gossip or blowback. So you tell your kids to not be too flip at the mouth and tell everybody's business. But I think the end result is an environment of shame. And that is a precursor to abuse. Or it actually sometimes is used to cover up abuse. So I don't know if anyone's told y'all this or if this is a conversation people want to have, but that's an example of something I inherited that was never explicitly told to me. I just took it on because I was raised in that environment. I was raised to feel ashamed, ashamed of my body, ashamed of what I wanted to do. And I spent so much time taking on an identity of being a good Christian girl, whatever that's supposed to mean, that I didn't really form an identity of my own independent of my mother, independent of a Christian church. Like I did not have full autonomy over my body and my choices. So it resulted in a lot of shame for wanting something different, shame and trying to explore something else and to see what's out there. I felt embarrassed and guilty to do those things. And so I feel like as an example, I took on this identity of shame, like real shame. And it's hard to shake. It is hard to shake this idea that you have to keep things from people because there's something to be embarrassed about. And I carried this my whole life. My whole life, I was excessively private. And then I would complain about not getting the support I wanted. When in actuality, it was because I had never allowed people to give me any support. I had never allowed anyone the opportunity to show up for me because I had internalize this idea that the world was a scary, dangerous place and that no one would help me and that I couldn't rely on anyone. I had to be on the defensive 25-8. That led to the strong black women trope. You see how this all connects? This, uh, this, and, and I witnessed that from my mother as well. That was something else I internalized and became my belief that I couldn't, you know, the, the belief that black women are not supposed to show pain We're not supposed to cry. We're supposed to tough it out. That I was too emotional. That was a big one. The belief that I was too emotional. When nobody who knows me in the real world would ever say that. Like, trust and believe. The last thing people would describe me as is emotional. But that belief was put into me because people were inconvenienced by my emotions. They were inconvenienced by the things that I was experiencing. It's hard to force a child to do something against our will if you acknowledge how it makes them feel. It's hard to force them to go to church every day, multiple times a week or whatever, if you acknowledge that your kid is a person that has feelings, that can be tired, that can be bored. If it's, it's hard to really get your kids to do what you want them to do And see them as a separate human being if you acknowledge that their emotions matter, that their opinions and feelings really matter. And so once I internalized the fact that my feelings and my perspectives didn't matter, independent of everybody else, I felt like for years that 
I didn't matter. Like literally, I did not feel like I mattered in the world. I felt like I was a side character or an extra in everybody else's life. I didn't even, I did not become the main character until years down the line. And I think part of that was unpacking these beliefs that were passed on to me. And I don't fully blame my parents because I think these days we have more language to talk about this stuff than whatever. But for a long time, I didn't know it. I didn't fully understand it, which is why it was actually very frustrating to me. As a side note, this this is a complete side note, y'all. When I go to a therapist and I try to talk through these things, it was crazy to see the therapist say, well, there's nothing I can do for you because basically you're self-aware. She was like, oh, you're doing good. You're doing good. You're doing great. Like you're really showing so much growth. Um, And she was like, let me know in three to six months if you want to touch up or if you want a session. And I was like, are you serious? But she did. And because it was because I was becoming so self-aware that she didn't feel like she needed to do anything. And and she basically was like, there's no, it was almost like I received that as there's nothing I can do for you because you already know what your problems are. But that's not true. Like as a black person, that's not true. As a black woman, I am still very young, unpacking years of trauma, trying to understand how things happen to me and how can I save myself And you have this person telling you that you've done all the work that you need to do. If there's ever anything that was so toxic, it was like finally plowing my way through years and years of trauma on my own because I couldn't afford a therapist. And then I get one. And within six months, they're telling me there's nothing I can do for you. And I hadn't even tapped into the deep shit. This is surface level, y'all. This ain't even the real deep stuff. This is not the real, real like traumatic shit. This is just like surface level Things that I finally am coming to understand about myself and not feel ashamed about. Enough to where I can talk about it on a podcast to strangers because I don't feel embarrassed about things that were never my fault, right? But it's crazy to kind of like get that feedback to be like, well, I can't do anything for you. And I was like, whoa, well, then what do I do? (laughs) You know, I I can kind of see now. Um, why people don't go to therapy because we keep telling people go to therapy, go to therapy, go to therapy. But when they really want to work through their shit and they're just starting to unpack it, you're too self-aware. I need someone to talk to about it. I'm still trying to figure out. I learn new things about myself, my history, my past every year, y'all. It's a lifelong journey. So anyway, I don't know who needs to hear that, but somebody needed to hear that. Anyway, so When I talk about these sorts of things, I'm trying to break that generational pattern of of secrecy, of shame, shame about my past and what happened to me, shame about the things that have held me down and suppressed me for so long, um, and kind of work through it in a positive way that could maybe help other people. And it's hard to break the pattern when you don't see it. So it's, that's why sometimes therapy and talking to friends can be helpful because as you go through life, you may uncover something, leave no stone untouched, unturned or untouched because one day you may happen upon something and realize, oh wait, that there's a pattern here 
There's a generational pattern of X, Y, and Z that I might need to break this. And breaking the pattern is not this mystical force. It's not a demon. It's not an entity. It's not a spirit or a curse most of the time. It's really a pattern of behavior, a pattern of thought, a set of beliefs that you inherited. Now, there are situations where you did not inherit that belief. There are situations where you came across life struggles or you came through, you know, you went through certain things in life that kind of caused certain beliefs to form. And one belief that I really had to work through was this idea that like all of X are X, fill in the blank. When we go through traumatic situations, we start to create explanations for why we went through what we went through. And I think a really popular one right now is that all men are trash. Now it's controversial. This is going to be controversial. Oh, oh man, people don't eat me up for this one. But I think that it has become too much. It's become oversimplified because the truth is a lot of people are working through toxic stuff, just stuff, baggage. Your gender identity does not mean that you are more evolved and you have done the work, right? Like, I am sorry. The way that I see society now as an adult woman Because I went through this whole phase where I was like, oh, men are trash. And now I'm starting to see it's a little bit more complicated than that. A lot of people, men or women, have misogyny. And that affects how they treat people and how they treat themselves. And so part of my toxic mindset was that, well, all men are this or all men do this, that, and the third. I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of people are broken. A lot of people don't work on themselves. A lot of people are not trying to be better. But there are people who are trying to be better. I just need to find those people. I need to give grace to those people and they give grace to myself. That was a belief I developed. My mother did not teach me that. My parents did not teach me that. I uncovered that belief about myself. And one belief, too, as, uh, that I, I really do think I'm starting to unpack is this idea that, like, having high expectations is a good thing. I've started to realize more and more that my expectations have really stolen a lot of joy in my life because I expect so much from other people that ultimately manifests in how I expect things from myself. And it gets to a point where it's like, you'll never be happy. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't have high standards because you should, but I feel like standards are different than expectations because standards apply to yourself. Standards can be relevant to how you treat people. So always being kind, not using certain curse words or whatever. Those standards are for you. You know what I mean? Um, Trying to impose standards on other people is misguided. But that being said, I feel like expectations are different because in a lot of ways, sometimes I feel like we're expecting things to go a certain direction. And when they don't go the way we want them to, we act out or we shut down or we form these really toxic and harmful beliefs. And so I found that when people and my boyfriend taught me this, people who have high expectations of others typically have even higher expectations for themselves. 
they're very harsh, they're very critical of others, and it gets to a point where they're super miserable. They project that misery onto everyone they encounter because nothing will ever meet their expectations. It's the thief of joy. It really is. Learning to accept others for who they are, for their mistakes and their failures, and giving them grace gives you the opportunity to accept yourself and give yourself grace because nobody is perfect. And yes, people's intentions do matter. Even if it hurts you, it does matter. Plenty of people are good people who make mistakes, who hurt you unintentionally, who disappoint you. That doesn't mean they should be tossed aside, that they should be canceled, they should be thrown away, or you should you know, break up with them or whatever, whatever. Like, We're human beings having a human experience. And I think once I was able to unpack that belief that for whatever reason, my expectations were a, 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 essentially an excuse to create a barrier. So I was able to be emotionally unavailable as long as I could keep people's expectations super high and expectations of myself super high. It was a way to stay. It was, it was a good way to stay unavailable to people emotionally. And I decided that if I'm going to risk getting hurt, I got to let go of these expectations because you can put these walls up and they will protect you. But they will also keep out any sort of love and support that, could, that you could potentially receive from others. You know what I mean? And like, I don't know. I feel like that's something that's real. That's, that's real for me. And as an example of the type of belief that you can just develop over time without realizing it. So that narrative that we tell ourselves about our lives and about our experiences, it really does matter. It, it's not just about money or finances. It's not just about school. It's not just about our experiences and the, the negative things that happens to us. It's all of it. And I feel like once we start to sit down and really think about what we would tell someone, if we were asked to tell our life story, to explain how we got to this point today, what would you say to them? And why would you say those things? Why would you, like, how would you frame your life? Because a lot of times our perspective is flawed, it's skewed. So when you're telling someone the story of your life and how you got to this point, I think it's worth reflecting on why you highlight certain things over others. Anyway, so that's something I really wanted to share. And I also think, if I'm being honest with you guys, I enjoy talking about my experiences, but I think there's a healthy balance between talking about your story and then becoming the things that have happened to you. I think that might be a, a good way to kind of explain the difference between being a victim and being someone who's victimized. Because when you take on the identity of the victim, you are essentially becoming and identifying with the negative things that's, that's happened to you in the past. So if you've been sexually assaulted, that was you being victimized by someone. You had no choice in the matter. It was deeply painful and it's hurtful. And that experience does shape you. But when you become a victim, you've taken on an identity of someone who's gone through something horrible and then it becomes something else. And I think that's important to talk about. And I know, oh man, like I said, this is very controversial to say, but I feel this way about a lot of things in my life. Like I am not going to use my, my background, um, trauma or abuse or anything as an excuse 
for why I can't be successful, why I can't hold myself accountable, why I can't show up and be better for others. I'm always going to give myself grace because I deserve at least that. I do. And I've already kind of discussed how I feel like I'm going to lower my expectations of others and lower expectations of myself. But that doesn't mean I have the right to be mean, to be disrespectful, to be hateful just because of my experiences. That's not right. And I think a lot of us would do well to really think about the story that we're telling people, like what this overarching narrative of our life is and and not leading with our trauma and our pain. Because listen, as much as I've been through some bad things, I've also experienced some good things. And I don't want random people coming up to me on social media, on in these you know, Twitter or Instagram streets and identifying with my trauma. I want you to identify with my success. Because guess what? I am not every bad thing that's happened to me because that was not my choice. I am my actions. I am not the actions of other people. Does that make sense? I choose to identify with the things that I personally have done because I want my actions to speak for me. I want the things that I've accomplished to speak for me. You know, I want my character to speak for me. I don't want my trauma to speak for me. And so that's the that's the thing that really matters because sometimes even in spaces where people are talking about certain political identities, like as a black woman, I've found it incredibly frustrating that when I want to bond with black women, we are good at trauma bonding, leading with our pain so that people can identify with us, so that we can feel relatable. But the second that someone chooses a different identity, we can't identify with that. You know, if somebody decides that they want to be a luxurious person who enjoys fine dining and great experiences, a lot of black people are not necessarily going to relate to them because they don't find it relatable. But what they do find relatable is police brutality and violence. What they do find relatable is, you know, rappers who beat their girlfriends. That's what some people find relatable. What they find relatable is being a single mother and having to hustle and grind and go through struggle and earn luxury and earn being taken care of. That's what some people identify with. And I think that speaks volumes to how we see ourselves because honestly, black people come in all forms, shapes and sizes and experiences. There's not one way to be black, but it's really interesting to see trends and patterns of behavior. Just like there's generational patterns, There's also patterns that you can observe in others. And I think on social media, it's been really hard to watch people choose to identify with struggle and suffering and violence and pain and trauma over identifying with joy. And that's a real problem because we look at black trauma all the time because it's shown to us so much so that we desensitize to it. It's relatable. It has a galvanizing effect. But we should be just as supportive of not just people who undergo trauma, but people who experience joy in their lives. You know what I'm saying? Y'all get what I'm trying to say, right? Do y'all understand what I mean? So anyway, um, breaking these patterns of thought and kind of challenging these beliefs is really hard when you're immune to some of the dysfunction that you're witnessing. So if you are not even cognizant of this narrative, this story that you're telling yourself about other people and yourself, 
um, it becomes really difficult to break the cycle. It just does. That's why having some, you know, external uh, feedback is super important because then you can actually get some some information. You can get an outsider's perspective. And I know this may be hard to hear, but sometimes I do enjoy hearing others' perspectives on myself and maybe even the Black community because it gives me a difference in opinion. And that's not rooted in trauma, but it's like I get to hear how other people, other communities live, how they navigate situations, and it gives me some perspective. Because listen, if I had all the answers and I thought I was doing everything right, I would be having different outcomes. And like I said, that's a very controversial statement, but it's it's the truth. I, I genuinely believe that the African-American community and myself, I'm comparing to two different types of identities here. We have a lot to teach, but we also have a lot to learn. And as an individual, there's a lot of things I can talk about. There's a lot of things I can provide insight into and possibly expertise, but there's also plenty of things I can learn. I am not perfect and I am not beyond reproach. I'm very teachable. <laughs> so anyway, it's it's life-changing to, to wake up to some of the dysfunction and toxic patterns and beliefs that you may have, right? But it's even more impactful to decide that you want to take action and, and really figure out what it is that you want and then go after it. But I think the difference between a lot of people who listen to, I don't know, Gary Vee videos on YouTube or people who buy courses is that not everyone has the will to change their life, but a lot of people want to. So I don't know if y'all know this, but you know there's this huge you know trend of people selling online courses, right? Did y'all know that over 90% of people who purchase an online course don't complete it? Yeah. The overwhelming majority of people who complete these online courses or who, who, who purchase these online courses don't complete them. Yeah, it's only a select few. Just like you can spend so much time marketing a product or service, but only a few people actually buy it. It's the same thing. What I found is that a lot of people want a lot of things. But if you want to change your life, it has to be a conviction. It can't just be a desire. And that conviction is about what you believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Think about that. It has to be a conviction. It's one thing to want to be wealthy or to want a husband. It's one thing to want to go to a certain type of school or to want a certain type of job. It's another thing to be convinced that it is for you, convinced that you should be married or be convinced that you should be in a certain field. Because then it's not just a want, it's a belief. And that belief is underlying everything that you do. And so what I found was I want to do a lot of things in my life. But when I look at the results that I've gotten, 
It's because somewhere down the line, I believed something. I believed in myself. I believed in my potential. And I believed in the possibility of creating a better future for myself. I believe it. So it's easier to walk it out. When you're convicted and convinced that something good is going to happen to you, it will at some point. And like, I just hope that y'all can really hear me on this because this is something that I feel is true. Because when I decided to change my life, and it's actually, when I say a lot of things have shifted for me in my personal life, it's true. I had to believe that I was worth more than XYZ treatment. And so that's what I got. But I think even the results that I've gotten was limited to my beliefs. So for example, I never believed it was necessary to be with a man who was a millionaire. I never believed it was necessary to be with a man who would pay my bills. What I did believe is that I should be treated with respect. What I did believe is that there's a man out there who is going to adore me and appreciate me for who I am. A man who was going to be kind and treat me with, with, with a certain level of tenderness. And that's exactly what I got. And so it really caused me, just as an example of, of what I mean, it caused me to really think about what I actually believe. Do I believe that certain things are my, or could be my reality? Like, what are you convinced of? And I had to really look at my beliefs and say, okay, well, what do I want? Maybe I want to not have to work for the rest of my life. Okay. Maybe I want to, I don't know, have nice things, but live a pretty modest lifestyle because I believe in being financially stable and being financially free, but not keeping up with the Joneses. Having inner peace and contentment. That's a belief. I believe that there is a partner out there who is going to respect my autonomy and is going to create an opportunity for me to relax and enjoy my life. Work when I want to work, not because I have to work. That's a, that, that's a belief now. So because I'm convinced that this is part of my reality, that this is the way life should be, I have to then execute that. So how can you change your life, right? Like, how do you do this identity switch where you don't become the sum of all of these negative experiences and your trauma and all the horrible things that have happened to you and that happened to everyone else, right? Well, for one, you have to decide what you want. And that's really hard because there's going to be a lot of people who tell you that you shouldn't want what you want. Because you don't deserve it. But we're not going to get into what you deserve. We're going to talk about what you want. Don't feel guilty about what you want. I'm so serious. When you really start to unpack what it is that you want out of life, what would make you happy, that's, that's hard to isolate. And I, when I started really thinking about what would make me happy, I felt guilty. Because what would make me happy may not be politically correct, but it's what makes me happy. I know social media going to tell you that everybody got to be a she, a, a she boss and, and a CEO, but everybody don't want that. 
what would make me happy is having a business, a successful business, but I don't have to be a millionaire. That's not a core belief of mine. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm convinced that I will be very comfortable in this life. And I'm convinced that, you know, I want to provide financial freedom for myself, but I will be damned if I'm going to work my ass off. I'm not going to work my ass off. I don't want to work hard. That's not a core belief of mine. Believe that. I don't believe that I will have to work hard to be successful. I will be relaxed and feminine and very well kept. That's my belief. That's not PC, but it's me. <laughs> like, I'm going to just say, you don't have to believe that, though. That's your business. And you don't have to explain what you want to nobody. You don't owe nobody an explanation. Okay? I'm just telling you as an example. Sometimes you feel guilty because everybody's going to try and tell you what you should want. And why you should want it. When we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about what you really want the secret desires of your heart, what you know will make you actually happy in this life. And once you decide what you want, you have to uncover your beliefs and everything. And it's not just about the beliefs that keep you from what you want. It's the beliefs that have gotten you what you want so far. What's been working for you? Everything ain't bad. Something's good. One thing about me, I'm a hustler. That's a core belief that I'm not about to work hard, but I'm about to work smart. Okay, I'm about to work smart. People are surprised at the things I'm able to pull off because I just believe I can do it. I believe that I'm not about to work hard to get this million dollars or to get this, this, this bag. Oh, no. My ancestors have suffered enough, I beg. We, we will be moving in silence, but we will be moving quickly and with intelligence because we're not about to break our backs working hard no more no more we're not with that <laughs> not over here you know uncover your beliefs some things have worked well for you what got you there and i'm not here to tell you that what got you the success you've had so far is what's going to get you to the next level i'm just getting you to think about everything the good and the bad now challenge those beliefs Think about it. Challenge the beliefs that you hold about your life. Some of you are tied to this identity of being a quiet, unassuming person who is just so shy and not good at socializing. Who told you that? Like, where, where did you get that from? Is it because you were rejected or bullied when you were younger? Is it because you experienced a lot of anxiety in social settings? Where did this come from? This, this intense physical response to believing that you could be the social butterfly. You could be the person who injects energy into a room. Where, where, why are you so against being that person? What would it mean for you to be different? Now that you know what you want, you, you understand and you're able to identify some of the beliefs that have been holding you back, but some of the beliefs that have served you well, challenge those beliefs. And then decide who you want to become. You have to be willing to change. Like I said before, what got you here may not get you to the next level. You have to accept that. 
Who do you want to become to get what you want? If you want the 666, the six-figure dude who's six foot with a six-pack, who do you have to become to get that kind of man? And April Mason said that, and I thought that was hilarious, but she was right. Because, listen, we live in a generation where everybody thinks they deserve the best of everything, and you do deserve it. But some things you haven't gotten yet because you have not identified with the type of person that could get it. I'm going to be so for real. Some things in life, if you want that six-figure job, baby, is your resume giving six figures? Is your LinkedIn profile giving director, executive? Is your network that of somebody who would be a six-figure earner? If you're not a six-figure earner, how do you intend to come across men who are in a certain income range? Like, be for real for for two minutes. Be for real. As much as you may want something, if you don't have the will to change, you're not convinced enough. Because you can want that six-figure dude who with a six-pack that makes you know that that makes a certain kind of money, lives a certain kind of lifestyle, and is six feet tall. But if you're not convinced that it's actually a reality for you, then it's gonna be a pipe dream. You're gonna be swiping on social media. And on these dating apps, infinitely till you get it. Instead of just being like, you know what? I can swipe every day, all year, and still not meet that man. But what I could do is get my money up, get a better resume so I can get a better job to be around people who would actually be in that income range. I could actually hire a matchmaker. I could actually just decide, you know what? I'm going to go to certain types of events where people who make a lot of money go. And I might meet someone who we have something in common. I might have meet someone who I have something in common with. But you'd actually have to do something. <laughs> you have, you'd have to actually stop being passive and be active. Be convinced that it'll happen for you and take action. Because that's what we're really talking about. You had to decide the kind of person you'd want to become, that you'd be willing to become to get what you want. So for an example, as y'all know, I always love to provide examples. I can, I had to decide that if I wanted a certain type of income, I had to hire a coach because if you want to make a lot of money, you can't be stingy. You have to pay people to make the money that you make. It's an investment in yourself. You only get what you invest so if I want a six-figure salary, guess what you what guess what y'all think I had to do? I had to go find somebody, pay them a few hundred dollars that I did not have to get the job that I wanted. If I had not done that, I wouldn't have gotten the job that I have. In the same way, in order to live the life I want with the apartment that I want, and make some of this stuff on my vision board become a reality. Guess what you think I got to do? Invest some money. I have to save. I have to manage my finances better. I have to be willing to break my lease. Spend some coin. For an apartment locator. To find me a good deal. And 
identify where in the city I'd have to live. And I said, you know what? Okay. It looks like that I, if I want to have an XYZ type of lifestyle, I'm like, okay, well, that means I'm going to have to make a certain type of money a year, a certain amount of money a year. And I had to break that down by month and say, okay, every month I got to be making about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a month. Where it's going to come from, I don't know. But if I make this from my job, the difference has to come from other revenue streams. So it looks like I better get to it. If that's the kind of life that you want, that's what it's going to cost you. And if it's going to cost me that much, then I have to figure out a way to come up with that kind of money. I have to become the kind of person that could live in that apartment building. That could wear those sorts of clothes and drive that kind of car. Simply put, that was exactly how I saw it. And I've been working towards that. I kind of hinted about this, but the next thing is really developing an action plan. So as much as you want something, now that you've decided that you're willing to change and become who you need to be to get what you need to get, now you have to develop an actual like plan for that. Breaking down your intentions into little goals every single week will help you accomplish what you need to accomplish. And I need you to get as granular as possible because listen, child, I made a list of things I needed to do. And you know what? Within a month, I had got a lot done. Like you wouldn't believe. I'm so serious, y'all. I made a list of things to do. A list of goals for 2023 that I was going to take on. And you know what? Half the people, half the things I've already accomplished. I have to come up with new things to accomplish because I made the list in October for 2023. I took immediate action and half of it's already done. For example, starting a budget or a dashboard for finances, I already did that. I've already um, booked some trips for next year, onboarded some new clients. Apartments already done. Got the new job at the salary that I needed. Some of the other stuff I can't do here. I ha- I can only do when I move. <laughs> so if you could imagine, I have to come up with new goals now. Because I took immediate action. Came up with a plan. And then I was like, well, dang. That was easy. I got way more done than I thought. <laughs> So, of course, you then just have to execute said plan. So I've been, you know, executing. And don't get me wrong, I have struggled a lot with consistency in the past. But even inconsistently, I've still been been able to hit certain goals. So my main thing now is I need to become a certain type of person to reach certain goals. And that person that I need to be is consistent and reliable and extremely precise. So, guess what that means? I have to be very, very consistent, even if it means just showing up. Going to the gym every day. I want to lose 30 pounds. I'm not going to wait till next year. I'm starting this year to get the body that I used to have. So, hit the gym every day, even when I don't want to, even when I don't feel like it, because your feelings don't matter. You have to be consistent. Even if it means dragging myself out of bed just to show up at the gym, walk in there for five minutes, do a few jumping jacks. At least I went. (laughs) 
Because the point is for me to show up for myself every single day and prove to myself that I can, that I can be trusted. And if I make a promise to myself that I can deliver. So besides execution, you also want to record your growth. So find opportunities or ways for you to track your progress. And I feel like my TikTok has actually become that because the biggest thing for me recently has just been exercising. And so believe it or not, like if y'all see those affirmation videos, um, what's so interesting about that was I started doing those affirmations and within a month, I got amazing opportunities. And that was with me being inconsistent. Imagine what would happen if I was consistent, y'all. I'm telling you, when you start doing those affirmations, you start executing on that plan and then giving yourself opportunities to record your progress, you will see growth super fast. And I'm saying this because I know I'm not perfect. There are some things I need to be way more consistent about, but just tracking my goals, making vision boards and my desktop, um, uh, I don't know what it's called. You know, the, the screensaver on your desktop whatever that's called, I have my vision board as that on my computer, on my desktop, on my um, tablet. And it's helped me so much to keep my dreams right in front of my face so I remember what I'm working towards. And I'm recording it by doing these podcast episodes and posting on my TikTok. I'm not posting nonsense. I'm posting. I want to actually post like my growth so y'all can see it in real time. And y'all know like I'm I'm about it for real. <laughs> I'm about this life for real. I promise y'all I am. But anywho, I hope that this helps because this stuff about identity has really, really resonated with me because right now is the time before the end of the year to decide who you want to be. And let go of of certain ideas that you have about yourself, about your potential, and become whoever you need to be to accomplish whatever it is that you need to accomplish. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't put it off till next year. Start now. So by the time January rolls around, you're on the right foot. I hope this was helpful to you guys, and I hope that you're actually encouraged by this. That being said, DM me with thoughts and opinions and and where you're at right now, because I would love to get some feedback from you guys and hear some of the stuff that you're working on. All right. I guess that's it for now. And I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye.